Hello, and welcome to the Eco Insomniacs. This is part two of our Eco Businesses discussion. I'm your host, Aaron Zover, of the blog The Appropriate Omnivore. From meat to veggies, every food can be healthy and sustainable with regenerative agriculture. And I let you know the best products to buy to support this cause. You can find my blog at appropriateomnivore.com. Here with me, as always, is my co-host, Diana Brand of Transition to Green. Diana, tell the listeners a little about Transition to Green and what exactly it is. Hi, everybody. Transition to Green is a 501c3. It was founded in the summer of 2008. And the big thing are our forums. And we also have lots of other things that we do outside the forums. It's nonpartisan public educational outreach. And you can find most of our activities posted on Meetup and through the Facebook page. Love it. And with us as well is our returning guest, Monica Ford of The Real Food Devotee. Monica, tell us a little bit about your business. Thanks so much for having me, Erin. So I founded a business called Real Food Devotee, and you can find us at realfooddevotee.com. We make ancestral foods, which means we do wild fermentation, long-simmered bone broths, and essentially make everything from scratch with an eye to ethical farming and eco-practices within our business and also within the um, farmers that we source our ingredients from. Um, So please feel free to check us out at realfooddevotee.com. We deliver all over the Southern California area. And if you're not in Southern California, please check us out on Instagram. We love to connect with you and uh, grow this community of conscious eaters. Yes, it is a good thing to learn about even if you don't live in the Southern California area because maybe you'll get an idea to start something like this in your town or you know people that are interested in it. Because I certainly know that people in other areas are impressed, such as people in the Weston A. Price San Mateo chapter. They saw the interview that I did with you on my other podcast and I think they were a little bit jealous that they didn't have it up there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's so many of us all over the country, you know, I have family all over the country as well, who are in need of businesses to become artisanal food businesses that really care about getting the most nutrients for each bite, right? And to also support small farmers who are really doing it right, who are healing not only our earth, each of us. So I would love it if more of you out there would create businesses like this. It would be so amazing and I would be so happy to send the people who contact me weekly to find these kind of resources in their area. I would love to send them to whoever will start doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes and if they do then I think this will certainly be covered on my blog and perhaps we can also cover this on the show again. Yes you're such a great support for this Erin. I love what you do. And that's why we felt we needed to bring you back for a second half, because there's so much more to discuss. For this next portion, Diana would like to kick it off with the question she has for you. Basically tracking where we are in 2019 with the entrepreneur going into the green business industry. So it's just a general thing about uh, getting into something that's eco and sustainable. A lot of companies that are doing what you're doing you're in the what would you say restaurant food industry and you're supporting the local farmers did you find that when you started this that it was a very expensive venture for you initially was it a big investment because the statistics are showing that for most green entrepreneurs 
it's a big investment initially. And for the competitor that's not eco and sustainable, that typically, and you probably know the average, is that they start seeing cash flow within the end of their first year. But apparently for eco-sustainable people, entrepreneurs will see their money starting to come in in about a year and a half. So it's a little bit longer. But it's worth it because once they start getting their initiatives and certifications incrementally and doing what they can to show that they're becoming more integrated into the eco-sustainable system, they start actually seeing more benefits there. Do you see that? Have you experienced that? I've been offered capital before uh, for Real Food Devotee, but I haven't taken any yet mm -hmm. so far. And I, I always say that Real Food Devotee started on a reused jar and a head of cabbage. <laughs> that was our capital to start. Um, but I think one of the things that happens is that entrepreneurs, when they start out with a clear ethical goal, a purpose of good, um, not only ecologically, but also the purpose of their product, whatever that may mm -hmm. be, we tend to compare ourselves to whoever else is in the market, mm -hmm. um, which might be the same item, like maybe I'm making bone broth, but maybe someone else is making bone broth that really isn't quite the same. So to really differentiate yourself and to price that product, not based on what your so-called competitor is making, but base it on the merits of that product, yeah. you know, and then make your whatever marketing you do about education so that right. people can make an educated choice instead of trying to obscure the differences, which I right. find is what happens a lot, particularly, yeah. yeah, I think it's really important to do a couple of things. That is, for me personally, I feel that there really isn't any competition. That's not a real thing. That's mm -hmm. something we've all made up. I know. Yeah, I believe the food community particularly, which is notoriously competitive, can be more of a community. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what I've experienced. Maybe it's just because what I'm putting out there, but that's what I've experienced. You know, this um, It's a healthier community. way of looking at it. Absolutely. And, and we can all help each other. Europeans think of it that way. Mm. I'm not sure if you've ever been to Europe. I have, but, but I didn't yeah, know that. <laughs> yeah, no, they've always basically supported the local farmers. Many of the people that are in the city still are into growing their own things. It's just part of their lifestyle. Yeah. So, And also, I think that the French, you could look this up, that they're the ones that started the bone broth. Mm -hmm. That is true. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what's um, thought of in classical French cooking. You yeah. Know, just a little pod on the back of the stove with yeah. one little bubble coming up exactly. now and then. You know? Well, yeah. I don't know. They, they're the ones maybe that first known to record it, but it yes. seems to be something like in the wild. You could I think it's every bone culture. Broth. Almost every culture has broth and something fermented. Mm -hmm. They're all different things. Because in a society where we can't just go buy everything at the grocery store, so in times past, why would you waste yeah. food? You, you know, right. that is wasting food, you know, for us to just use a chicken breast. In times past, that would have been thought of as insanity, cruelty, wastefulness. And I think that's an ancestral wisdom we need to come back to Absolutely. to save not only our planet but ourselves and to respect the other beings we share this space with. 
I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. And also to not waste cuts of meat that maybe not be as popular these days, like yes. liver. I know you sell a number of liver products. Yeah, yeah. And and when I first began eating an ancestral nutrient dense diet. I would talk to the farmers. I would go to farmers markets and kind of spend quite a bit of time there, just talking to farmers, seeing what they're doing. And I would ask um, many of the farmers who were selling meat, um, "Oh, what's this cut of meat? What's the best way to cook that?" Or and so I got practiced at cooking a lot of the cheaper cuts of meat, mm-hmm. um, and found out that they're incredibly nutrient dense. Many of them have more connective tissue with the cut or they might be liver which I didn't grow up on and so I did actually another thing that my grandmother used to give me when I was a kid I had mononucleosis I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've heard of that Uh yeah and they say it's the kissing disease I actually picked it up from a girl that I had just gotten over it in high school and she shared her coca-cola with me oh so I drank off of her coca-cola and then I got mono and my grandmother she always liked to serve me the chicken livers mm-hmm. and she just started serving me a lot more of that wow it might sound like I lived with my grandmother I didn't <laughs> I lived basically probably three miles away but she was always coming over so yeah. yeah, I mean, liver, well-sourced liver is definitely like a secret superfood, yeah. you know, and the Real Food Diva Tea has many professional athlete clients, and they are like eating that liver pate like crazy wow. because they I know. I love liver they pate. They know, yeah. It does build your blood. Mm-hmm. So. It does, and we're so, particularly in the West, so deficient in many, many minerals, you know, iron, magnesium, mm-hmm. etc. Um, and it's quite rich in those as well, um, and B vitamins. It's just mm. a fantastic food that has definitely right fallen out of vogue. <laughs> what we're really talking about here, actually, it's not new. It's been around since the late 1960s and 70s, and it is a sustainable revolution. Simply a move away from the industrialization of dirty tech into a new industrial revolution. And you're part of that. Yeah, it totally does. I mean, I feel so thankful to be doing something that not only I love and I get to see people heal from, it's not something about me. It's just like I'm partnering with them in their food choices Mm -hmm. and they're healing themselves. Um, But also just to be able to come across all of these different ways to live more on just what we already have. You know, it's amazing to get more out of what you have. It's certainly easier to do in your own personal kitchen um, because you don't have regulatory agencies. There's some things you have to do that aren't um, as eco-friendly because of regulatory agencies or because of health code. But we're seeing some of that change as well. What we're seeing in our commercial kitchen complex is that so many artisanal food entrepreneurs are really fighting for the right to, say, recycle their plastics and glass and metal, um, just like we do in our own homes. It's a newer thing for businesses to be offered to businesses by the city or county. It is new. It's kind of crazy to think, but it is. And also composting as well. That should really be a big part of restaurants and kitchens. So for a long time in my kitchen complex, I would offer to all the kitchens that they could drop their compost off at my kitchen and we would take it away 
and either donated or I would use it in the Real Food Devotee Garden as oh, well. Wow. But a lot of people are beginning to just step up and do those kind of things. And it feels really good, not only for the founders, but for the employees as well, and for the other businesses that are cooperating in it. And it makes your community more rich too. So like yeah. when you're missing a carrot for the soup you're <laughs> needing to make, that other restaurant or kitchen is happy to give it to you and vice versa. So you okay. create a relationship, which I think is another part of being ecologically friendly. You yeah, know? it is. Yeah. Well, totally. And I think a lot of us just assume that businesses, especially in the food industry, are doing those things. And to find out that you guys had to fight for this stuff. And here we are, we're going to be going into 2020. We're at the last quarter of 2019. It's amazing that it's taken this long. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not <laughs> common. <laughs> It's still not common. Yeah, no, I know. It's, yeah. still, it's coming around. It is coming Slowly. around. Yeah, which is exciting. That's wonderful. Yeah, that is. Right. The other thing is that Global Green Economy Index that started in 2010, it tracks the green economy performance of over 130 countries. It's the index of policymakers and private sector for performance. The best advice for small businesses in making that transition Doing things like printing less, holding files digitally, uh, making computers on standby by turning them off, switching from desktop to laptop. The public brand reputation is everything, so avoid making false claims. For instance, don't say that you're doing eco-recycling if your company really isn't, or that you've got eco-packaging when you know you don't. Don't do that because that kind of emphasis, it's basically going to backlash on your branding. People will find out. People aren't dumb. The social responsibility, you really have to take that into consideration when you're an entrepreneur and when you want to make that transition to a more eco-sustainable company. Yeah, that's great advice, um, and to take baby steps, you know, so that it's not overwhelming for your uh, right. employee environment as well, or your solvency of your business. Um, but I think that also a great thing that consumers could do, just each of us personally, to not only make better choices about who we're buying from, what we're voting for with our dollar, mm -hmm. um, but also to understand the links that are being taken by businesses who perform in an eco-friendly manner. So to do things in your own kitchen, like make your own kitchen sustainable, you know? Yeah, start there first. Yeah, to use implements that are reusable for a long time, to use equipment in your kitchen that is more eco-friendly, energy savers, um, to compost yourself, whether you have a compost area outside or taking it to your local farmer's market or a city venue for that, to recycle. Um, to downsize the garbage that you're putting out there, you know, and you can also lower your monthly cost with your utility as well by, yeah. by sizing down to a smaller uh, garbage container. To recycle your yard compost as well, your yard clippings. You can really go outside the box. Like I used to um, soak and dehydrate almonds just in the sun. So I got those little netting tents that you would put over something, a dish of food you might put right. outside. 
and I would just put my pan of almonds out there that had been soaked and put them in the sun in the summer and they would dehydrate beautifully. That's nice. Now maybe not every area of the country you can do that. This is Southern California. Yeah, true. <laughs> but you can totally do that at certain times, you know? I used to have a neighbor, she had a lot of fruit trees mm -hmm. and she would basically do that. She would cut them and then set them out cool. from apricots to plums all different types of fruits. Oh, that's yeah. so great. Yeah. yeah. And she would put a net over it. It's a really fulfilling yeah. thing to do, you know, yeah. or drying your herbs. If you go buy a bundle of oregano at the uh, farmer's market for $2, who's going to use that much oregano? No. <laughs> so if you dry some of it, then you have some for later. Yeah. The other benefit is that there are so many cost savers associated with that. And just circling back to bone broth, another great way to save energy and use everything from the cuts of meat that you're buying is to make sure to buy meat on the bone and then take those bones when you're finished eating, like let's say you've roasted a chicken, you can take the bones that are left over, pop them in a bag in the freezer until you've accumulated enough along with any vegetable cuttings, like maybe you've peeled some carrots, cut the ends off onions. Pop them all into a slow cooker, which is very energy efficient. Um, once slow cookers generally come up to the temperature you've set them at, they'll stay there for six hours without acquiring much more energy at all. So you can make bone broth that way. And that's something you also don't have to look at, like a pot on the stove. You don't have to be worried if maybe you have a gas stove about the flame going out if you're cooking overnight. You can just kind of cook it to your convenience, and it's a very low-cost, um, low-energy expenditure uh, food to make and you're reusing. And then everything in that bone broth strained out can then go into your compost. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Oh, that wonderful. very nice. Oh, I like, Diana, what you brought up about taking small steps because you don't want to misadvertise the practice that you're doing. And to me, this kind of goes back again into the big organic versus small organic. Like, maybe it's just me, but... I think other people too, they sometimes don't trust when some of these big organic companies say they're so natural and mm -hmm. sustainable. And on the other hand though, I think actually it's part of the advantage of a big organic company buying a smaller one because you know that label versus a big organic company just saying, hey, this is our Coming organic out with their own carrots. Yeah. Because you're like, well wait, but this company isn't known for that. I don't know, it sort of goes I have a positive there to add in, <laughs> and this comes from, it's the Green Business Report 2019. It's basically saying that globally, companies, the large companies included, it's 80% of these companies are actually starting to bring in sustainable practices. So they might not be completely considered green, but they are starting to implement these things. It's happening. Yeah. So that's and I, positive. I think that's a and huge thanks to consumers who are demanding yeah. this now. Absolutely. It's that's important oh, to all of us. That's all yeah, it is. And, and that is a reason why these big companies are buying the smaller ones, that we need to remember that more consumers want them. So the big companies, they're doing it because they get that more people are interested in it. So we really shouldn't look at that as a negative that the also, big yeah. companies are listening to. Yeah. The demand. We should look at it as our power. We're powerful. Yeah. You buy a three dollar um, bottle of kombucha, you're making a powerful statement. Right you didn't there. buy yeah. a soda, you bought a kombucha. Yeah. And that's a big deal. It is. 
It it's is. a really big deal. Yeah. But the other thing too is there's all these different reports that come out for these companies and they want this is a good thing. This is where the power of the people comes in. They want some really good reviews showing that they're eco and sustainable. Yeah. So it's coming along. Yeah, it is coming along. And I think that's a wonderful thing because many of us will boycott companies. I will go out of my way to not buy something from a company that I know doesn't have fair employment practices. Oh, me too. Me too. Or, you know, I'm the same way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On down the line. Right. But I'm, I'm going to say a name of a company that you guys are probably going to cringe. McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought a lot of these fast food companies were probably going to go out, but they are starting to change their menus. Yeah, they have a long way and to go, but yeah, I get what you're McDonald's saying. McDonald's <laughs> has some pretty good stuff, I think. They've got a yogurt parfait I like. It's got Greek yogurt in it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad that everyone's not perfect having yeah whether it's not perfect or not though it's a step in the right direction exactly. i would agree with yeah. that and yeah. i do like that mcdonald's has looked at better sourcing of their seafood that's probably one of the biggest areas they have improved yeah, in and they bet. talk about that and end of the line i think diana you and i were at a screening of that maybe 10 years ago yeah. and they discussed that in the film i remember that yes wow yeah that is wonderful that's really wonderful kudos to them for doing that Absolutely. Well, I think this is a positive note to end it on, that we have actually all a positive outlook on the future. So before we go, though, Monica, why don't you tell us where people can find your website and yeah, enroll in yeah. your delivery service? Yeah, uh, so if you're located in Southern California, um, we would love to bring healthy, nutrient-dense food right to your doorstep. Uh, and you can order on realfooddevotee.com. And whether you're in Southern California or not, please connect with us on Instagram. We love to build our community there. We love to share recipes and tips, not only on food, but just on whole life, health, and happiness. Uh, and that's just Real Food Devotee on Instagram. Thank you, Monica. And Diana, before we go, also tell the listeners again about Transition to Green. Again, Transition to Green offers public educational outreach primarily through our forums, and they're set up to be nonpartisan. We listen to everybody. We want everyone to have an opportunity to have their voice and their opinion heard, and they run like parties, so they're a lot of fun. They're very dynamic, and we have finished for this year of 2019, and you will be able to follow up with us after the holidays into the new year, January 2020. And I have the website, The Appropriate Omnivore, all about learning the best products in the world of sustainable food, especially with meat and other animal products. That's it for this episode of the Eco Insomniacs. This is actually our last show for 2019, so we'll see you again in 2020.